Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, please be aware that spoilers for the film Millennium Actress, as well as other anime series and films may occur. Use caution in case we discuss something that you probably haven't finished yet. Finally, the opinions expressed in tonight's episode are those of the individual participants and do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. What? Did you think I was going to make some kind of joke or something in the disclaimer? Hell no! This film is a beautiful gem and deserves all the respect it gets. Just go see the movie, or buy it, or both! Just please go and see this movie! Oh, and if someone can rescue Tokyo Godfather's Paprika and Paranoia Agent, I would greatly appreciate it. Please and thank you! Enjoy today's special episode of Dub Talk. And welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where we relive our lives through movies until the weirdest of shit happens. My name is Stephanie, and I'm joined by Megan, which means it's another Steph and Megan filler episode, except it's actually not, not. really a filler episode. Not this time. <laughs> not this is really. a very Welcome to a very special episode of Dub Talk. Very, very special. Like you, I think with just you and me, it's associated with our filler episodes now, but this is not one. <laughs> this is a very, very special episode of Dub Talk. Oh, this is so special. We are so excited for this one. (laughs) Today, we're excited to bring you a film that holds a special place in both of our hearts. We're here today to discuss the brand new English dub for Satoshi Kon's Millennium Actress, the 2001 film from Studio Madhouse. The film was rescued this year by our friends over at Eleven Arts and is set for a theatrical release on August 13th for the Japanese version, which is actually the day prior to this episode's release and the 19th for the English dub. Which, by the way, a very, very, very special thank you goes out to the folks at Eleven Arts for providing us with an early screener copy of the dub for us to talk about today. Yay! Thank you guys so much! This is, like, actually, like, something that we thought would never, ever happen, was that, number one, that this movie would be rescued, and number two, that it would actually be redubbed. Absolutely, because... Oh, God. Because there is actually a Manga UK dub, but this has never, it never has been released on the Western side here. Um, but, oh, my God. It's never released <laughs> stateside, anyway. Never in stateside, anyway. Um, it was I released on home video. What I want to say, it was... I got to go grab my DVD copy now, because... <laughs> the old on, Sony I, I DVD copy. I DreamWorks or TriStar. Hold on. I have, I have my copy. I think it was DreamWorks. Like literally, one of the uh, one of the biggest advertisements is like if you find you can find the old trailer from DreamWorks like super easily on YouTube, yeah. and they're like the biggest thing that like this gets touted with is that the year that it came out it tied with what would eventually become the Academy Award winning Spirited Away for like the biggest Japanese film prize AKA, for animation. Yeah. That yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, um, this movie got snubbed for an Oscar because it's better. Yeah. This is a much better is. movie than Spirited Away, and, and all y'all can fight me in the comments. Like, I won't I won't fight her because it's fucking true. This is, like, um, this is legitimately one of the best movies ever made. Absolutely. And um, for those who may not know about me, like, Satoshi Kon is one of my favorite directors, like, legitimately. And this is my favorite film that he's ever done. Um... And this is the first time we're talking about a cone thing. 
Yes, we finally so get to do happy. that. We finally get to do it because this is the the first cone thing that has like I think actually legitimately been rescued in the states. Um, no. Oh no, Tokyo Godfathers is, but I don't think Tokyo Godfathers is dubbed. No, Perfect oh. Blue was rescued. Oh right, duh. Perfect Blue was rescued. Perfect Blue got rescued by G Kids. Um, I believe Tokyo Godfathers has yet to be rescued. Um, but there was a DVD home video release from, I believe it was TriStar, um, a few years ago on DVD. Yeah. And then Perfect Blue, God, who has Perfect, uh, not Perfect Blue, Let Paprika, I forgot who has Paprika. I, you can there. buy Paprika in the States, though. Yeah, like, you, you can, can still buy Paprika in the States, but Millennium, uh, uh, Perfect Blue was re-released, I think it was this year. Last year. By G-Kids. It was last, last year. year. By G-Kids. But, um, Tokyo Godfathers and this film, Millennium Actress, are very, very difficult to find. Um, as well as the one TV show that Satoshi Kon actually directed, uh, Paranoid Agent, which I hope that also gets rescued. <laughs> Please, someone rescue it. It's fantastic. I have it. I have the actual legit series. Mm -hmm. Um, <coughs> sorry. As you can tell, I love Satoshi Kon very, very much. Um, <laughs> now, before we can get into it much further, uh, just another quick shout out to our patrons over at Patreon who help support and make episodes like these happen. So a special thank you to Michelle Travis, Nico Robin, but with yaoi hands, Brad Mitchell, Jared, Carly Lestikow, I apologize if I mispronounce your name, Marissa Lenti, and the folks at Be. You are all such awesome folks, and we can't thank you enough. And yes, I just said that name with a straight face, motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry. Megan didn't think I could say Nico Robin with yaoi hands with I, a straight I face. I can't do it. I did it. You're welcome, Jackson. <laughs> anyway, if you haven't seen or heard of this film before, um, I would say what the fuck is wrong with you, but granted, understandable reasons why. Here is a quick little summary that I found via the Fandom Post article with the cast announcement. Chiyoko Fujiwara was once a major movie star who dominated the Japanese cinema world. 30 years ago, she abruptly disappeared from the screen and public view. One of her greatest admirers, Genya Tachibana, is a documentary filmmaker who has traveled to the isolated mountain lodge where she makes her home to interview her. There, he presents her with an old key, and as if the key had opened a door to her memories, Chiyoko starts telling the story of her life interweaving moments from her past and future, and passing through the boundary between reality and the movies that had made up so much of her life. It's a beautiful film. <laughs> it is a stunning film, Luke. Yep. The restoration done on this movie was fantastic. Oh, the remaster's gorgeous. Because the film that's going to be in theaters, and I'm going to assume that's going to go eventually to home video, is a remastered version of the mm -hmm. original, and it looks absolutely gorgeous. I, oh, oh Beautiful. Now, we're going to be discussing the casting and performances of the film today based off of the information and the press release from Eleven Arts. The press release itself actually originally left off a few characters and staff, but we did speak to Eleven Arts and we got confirmation and permission to discuss some extra characters not previously announced. Yeah, thank the... Again, thank you, Eleven, Eleven Arts. Arts. You are amazing. You are very kind company and very nice people. Yes, thank you so much, guys. Um, so with those little asides mentioned, how about we get started? Mm-hmm. So today we're going to start off with staffing, but it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to start with the ADR director, the supervising director, the script writer, and we may as well just do a little bit of discussion as well as to the recording studio behind it, because Eleven Arts is very interesting. Um, they don't use one set recording studio 
for their films. Mm-hmm. They'll go to a wide range of studios um, in order to produce the English dubs of their films. I believe, God, NYAV Post, no, that was G Kids that did Napping Princess, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. yeah. it was. It was. I'm, I'm done. I'm uh, dumb. NYAV but Post I, did do Maquia, though. And G-Kids yeah, did, did put out Maquia. Yep. And then, I'm not sure where Liz and the Bluebird and Penguin Highway and all those are from, unfortunately. But um, they do commission different recording studios in order to create these films. Um, so, for our ADR director, we have Mr. Kevin Hoffer whose only other really big directing credit was actually for the redub for Netflix for Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, boy. <laughs> for our supervising director, we have Miss Carrie Kiernan, who has been the director for Dragon Pilot Hisone Masutan, the redub for Neon Genesis Evangelion, as well as Mobile Suit Gundam Seed. As for script writer, Kevin Hoffer also serves as our script writer. However, as far as I could tell, there is no script writing credits. But what I do know and what I did get confirmation from Eleven Arts is they did faithful. They did pretty much closely tap, adapt the manga UK version of the script. As for the recording studio, um, it's actually coming out of VSI Los Angeles. Um, this is the recording studio that also produce such dubs for Agretzko, Dragon Pilot, and the redub for Neon Genesis Evangelion that's on Netflix. So VSI, from my understanding, is pretty much a good amount of the Netflix stuff we've been seeing right like, recently. Yes. So. A, a good mix of it that isn't Bang Zoom when they're putting a f- another Fate show on Netflix. Because <laughs> Bang Zoom, much. like, exclusively does Fate. Pretty much. <laughs> But, okay, so how do we want to start this discussion off? I guess I'll start, because you're the host, and usually host goes last. So, I have only seen this movie before today in Japanese. I never saw the Monkey UK version. Same. Um, I first saw this this movie about six, seven years ago. Uh, That's probably accurate. That's about the same (laughs) time as I did. Here's the reason I saw it. Uh, I have a film studies degree. I have a mm-hmm. degree, well, specifically it's humanities and cultural studies, but I focused in film and new media. When I was taking my intro course to that film and new media, like, to get my humanities credits to, like, switch my major, this was one of the movies I watched in there. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. but my TA was using this movie for her thesis because she was doing her thesis on, uh, her graduate thesis on how Japan uses um, film as a metaphor for people's memories. Okay, that's interesting. And you can actually see this in a lot of other anime and Japanese film. I think a, a really good example of this is, I can't believe I'm bringing this up in the context of this movie, Black Butler. <laughs> um, you know? Black Butler is a I fantastic anime. Uh, Black Butler is actually something she exclusively used in her thesis. I can kind of see what I can see it, yeah. No, because if you've ever watched, if you've never watched Black Butler, I think you can watch Book of Circus still legally. I don't know if you can watch the first or second seasons legally without buying it anymore. Book of Circus should still be available through Funimation. Funimation. I believe the rights expire next year, though. Yeah. So please buy Book of Circus ASAP. I need to buy the I need to buy the OVAs and the movies because then my Black Butler collection is complete. Same. uh, One of the things that I, I will get back to Millennium Actors after this. Is that uh, the Shinigami exclusively when they are like going through people's memories? It's on film reels. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I remember. Uh. So here we go. This movie uses that, but on a much more elevated and much more sophisticated level. Obviously, the memories of uh, Chiyoko's life are told not through like just 
normal flashbacks like in a lot of anime you see, they are told through the movies that she acted in, which is fucking fantastic. Uh, and then later on in college, as I was graduating undergrad, I did my I did my entire like uh, humanities, like postmodernism uh, class thesis on Millennium Actress, the idea of memories and transformation. Because essentially, I at one point was like, yeah, Chiyoko going through her memories is doing magical girl transformations. College being a humanities major is fucking weird, y'all. <laughs> um, being a humanities major is like. Taking a hit of a blunt and being like, you know, I can make anything into a thesis. Um, that's s- funny. I think that's very true. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what if Madoka? What if Madoka Magica was a metaphor for limited animation? Says Megan, <laughs> who wrote an entire paper on that. Um, oh my god! But the, to me, the thing that I like the most about the dub of this movie is that it felt so natural. Nothing felt over the top unless it needed to. There are points where people have to sound like they are acting badly because the character that they are voicing is acting badly. The li- AKA well, Genya. 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 There are times where Chiyoko has to do it as well. Yep. Um, this movie is funny. Like, it is. The humor in this movie comes across very well without seeming super dated or mean spirited. The. Yep. The level of care and precision put into this dub does not make it feel robotic. It does make it feel, like, alive and warm. Uh, there's a lot of casting of care. There are a lot of actors I know in this movie and a lot of voice actors that I'm unfamiliar with, um, especially Genya's uh, actor himself. Yeah, that's an interesting um, one. Which we'll get to him. To me, though, that this... It's so strange to hear that uh, Kevin Hoffer was the director... Um, on this as well as the writer and that uh, especially due to uh, controver- controversies around the, the Evangelion dub which I personally haven't actually watched but god knows I was on Twitter when that dumped and it was like a firestorm of vitriol yeah, well, there, there was there's good opinions there were there were people either. with good opinions and then there were like People who are mad. Carrie Kiernan as a director is somebody who I do trust. I, I, I love the dub of Dragon Pilot. Um, I think that she does a fantastic job here. I think that Kevin did a fantastic job. I think the translation was great. And I do like the fact that they already used uh, a pre-existing dub as a template, but maybe tweaked it to sound a little bit better. Because from what I understand, the, uh, the original Manga UK dub is not very well liked. It is not very yeah. good from what I understand. Yeah, um, one I understand too. So, <laughs> so, but overall, impressive effort. This is up there as one of the best dubs I've heard this year. That is not hyperbole. This when I when I trust me when we got told we were gonna get to screen this and I was given the access to do it before I sat and watched the whole movie today. I sat at like one in the morning and turned them turned it on just to hear it. I almost stayed up till three in the morning watching it because I was like, this is what I want. This is what I wanted to hear. Like, this is so worth the wait. Like, I had yeah. to pry myself to go to bed because I had to go to work the next day. Yeah. So, uh... very, very much worth it. Like, <laughs> please, please, this is coming up before, like, tickets go and get bought. Like, obviously there's a spoiler warning here. If I could say anything without, like before like after this point like spoiler gloves are most definitely gonna come off yep um buy your tickets go see this please go see the dub of this movie it is phenomenal it is one of the best dubs i've heard this year it is so worth the wait 
Also B, go see this movie regardless. It is a phenomenal movie. Yep. You, like, do not wait for home video. If you were apprehensive thinking, oh, this looks boring. No, go see it anyway. See it. This movie is art. This is one of the greatest films ever made. If you are somebody who loves movies, go see this movie. You owe it to yourself because this is not only a love letter to movie. This is not only a love letter to Japanese cinema by one of the greatest Japanese directors of all time who was taken away from us way too soon. This is also a ginor- like, I do want to say this. This movie is also a ginormous critique to right-wing politics. Mm -hmm. Like, I fucking love this movie. Like, you are doing yourself a disservice by thinking that it looks boring and unwatchable. Like- Please, go see this. You owe it to yourself if you are a fan, not only of animation, of, but of anime to see, like, where the things that you love kind of get their roots. Because obviously, anime has been around for a while, longer than you might think. Like, uh, one of the things, like, I honestly still need to pick up for Funimation, and I, I don't want it because I, I necessarily support what the movie's about, but I want it from a historical uh, standpoint is uh, Momotaro and the Divine Sailors, which okay. is like a 1940s World War II propaganda film um, that Funimation put, uh, got to put out. But like, this movie is a love letter to like a lot of stuff like that and even beforehand. Like, please go see this movie. The dub is fantastic. Uh, Kevin and Carrie and VSI did such an uh, amazing job. You basically gave your final thoughts in the beginning. I of have the to because I need to get people to go buy the, see see this movie, and I'll just do it again. <laughs> I mean, I, I everything you said, like I 100% agree with you. Um, my little background with the film is um, several years ago while I was in college, I actually originally had a um, a blog where I reviewed different anime series, and um, one of the things I did, I had a theme month in in an August, I want to say it was before my senior year. Yeah, it was before my senior year in college. So that would be 2012. Um, where I just covered everything and anything and everything, all the, at least the film-wise, for um, Satoshi Kon, because I had did Paranoid Agent um, a year or two before that. And this that was my first time watching this film. And... It was the most breathtaking and moving thing I had ever seen before. Because there's a lot of aspects that Cohn put into this film that are very much go with his directing style and the themes and context that he's able to use very well. Because um, I think the two biggest things that Cohn is mostly known for is his psychological dramas like Perfect Blue or Paprika. Um, but also some of the satirical ones, um, that being like Tokyo Godfathers, for example. And there's always also a theme about reality and the bending of reality, which mm -hmm. comes across in all four of these movies to an extent. With to less so in Tokyo Godfathers, but definitely in the other three. And, it's, and definitely in Paranoid Agent. <laughs> but um, this film in particular has the strongest mix and blend of the two themes that Cone is known for, that bending of reality, that psychological aspects, the satirical moments, because, sweet lord, when we get to Ida, cameraman Ida here... He's so much fun. <laughs> he's so much fun, because he's breaking the fourth wall on a consistent basis, and is like, what the fuck is going on with this shit? He's such a fun character. Um, 
but it's it's such a beautiful film and the directing and the writing on this is just absolutely fantastic the writing writing wise it definitely stayed true to the original japanese um, again, I have no experience or knowledge of the Manga UK dub of it, but using, again, since we, since Eleven Earth confirmed with me that they did use that as essentially a base um, for the script for this film, I can agree with Megan too that it's fantastic they use that as a base, but they were able to tweak it to make it much more realistic and much more believable. Um, which is fantastic. And the directing on this is solid. I am not familiar with anything that Kevin Hoffer or Harry Kiernan has directed. You should not really fix that. I know. Um, mostly because I kind of swore to myself that I would never do Neon Genesis Evangelion. I had a friend in college who just kept talking about it constantly and annoyed the shit out of me because it's of it. It's not gay. It's Shinji's mom. <laughs> um, Thanks, honey, and- for that one. <laughs> and, and um i know the people who are i know the hosts that were, did the dragon pilot episode megan included were probably like swear correct answer i was i was the host of the dragon pilot no, episode. I, i'm just saying like including megan but the people who did the dragon pilot episode megan included would be like why have you not watched this yet but um i have seen a gretzka so i have seen some uh, seen at least something that vsi los angeles has done um and it's solidly produced it's like it's very high quality and it's an absolutely beautifully directed um film and the casting on the film itself is also very diverse because um what you're gonna see as we keep going through here we're gonna see names that in terms of us in the anime industry um people in the anime industry including fans of anime will definitely know who they are because we've including us we've talked to them several about this several times but we also have names that we, one, there's an, initially a person I couldn't find a damn thing about that he's done before. And then there are a couple people from the Western animation as well as, and video games that actually come into play here. So it's a very diverse cast blending in a bunch of different actors with different experiences in different genres of media. So I think it's a very, very interesting situation and I think it's a very strong cast in general. Um, this film is just everything I wanted and more. <laughs> like, seriously. Is, oh, God. It is so, so beautiful. Um, the first time I watched it a few years ago, I cried at the end like a little baby. And then I watched it, I think, one more time in Japanese, probably about a month or two ago, actually. Um, just one day, because I wanted to marathon some movies for shits and giggles. And then I didn't cry then. But then when I got to watch it earlier today, the dub for this... I had that feeling again, like I did the first time I watched it. Like, watching it in a different language is very, very, it's very wonderful, and it's very surreal, kind of, you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. (laughs) Oh, definitely. And, um, especially if it's in a language you understand, um, because you get to actually understand and feel that raw emotion, too, and it's the ending, I just started tearing up, like, The ending of this movie is, like beautiful as hell oh it's beautiful um we won't spoil it quite yet but oh it is so absolutely beautiful um i'm in the same camp as megan before we go into complete another spoiler territory for the rest of the episode if you have not seen this film if you have not bought your tickets if you did not see the japanese um screenings the day before this episode was released you need to buy your tickets and see it on monday it is going to be your last chance to see it 
This is the la last chance to see it. Also, in last chance for spoilers. Last chance for spoilers because from here on out, it's gonna be all hell's gonna break loose. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna like sugarcoat anything. We're not gonna like keep anything on the wraps. We will be talking about the actual movie. Um, but yeah, like please do yourself a service. Like Megan said, if you think this film looks boring on paper or boring but based on the trailer, it's not. It's a beautiful and captivating story with so many fun themes and bits of like context into it, whether it's in the film industry or politics, um, or just the theme in general of a first love, because that's kind of one of the big through lines in the whole film too, honestly. Um, but yeah, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't see this film. So please, 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 before you continue this episode, stop and go buy your tickets. Yeah. <laughs> or go see this it is, on Monday. Is, yeah. Go see this it on is, the 19th like the and stop. then come back. This is like the stop point. It's like, guys, like from here on out, this is where that spoiler disclaimer comes into play. Like, yep. we have to start spoiling the movie to talk about why certain performances work. We were as vague as humanly possible for a reason. Yep. But um, if you are daring and you decide to keep going with this episode, Godspeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're like, ah, fuck it, I just want to hear spoilers. I don't want to see this. Cool, you're you're doing a disservice to yourself. But yeah, you're doing a disservice to yourself. But um, I mean, granted, even though it's gonna be in theaters only for this these two nights, um, it it we're gonna see it eventually on home video. And I swear to God, Olive Marts, please make make a really really pretty. Please make a limited edition, edition as as special as Maquia for this. Please, please, please. I will pre-order it, buy it day one, like day one buy, please. <laughs> I beg you. Um, and if someone can do us a solid and rescue Tokyo Godfathers and dub it, I would also be grateful. Because um, it's really weird seeing, like, basically in the span of a year, both Perfect Blue and Millennium Act yeah, oh rescued yeah. and released. It's so weird. Um, but now we just have Tokyo Godfathers, maybe Paprika could get rescued, and Paranoid Agent, for God's sake. Oh, Paranoid Agent has been out of print for years. Um, anyway, ranting over. <laughs> Bottom line, please go see the film on Monday the 19th if you haven't got your tickets already. Um, we're going to go see it too while we're while we are in Dallas as a huge fucking group. And it's going to be so much fun. Like, I think, I think Meg and I are the only ones that, in the Dub Talk crew who have seen the film. So basically everybody else is going in blind. Yeah, we were gonna show like a couple of them at AB, and then we just didn't because we were lazy and tired, and we showed Roots. But Roots I'm your... glad we didn't. Didn't. We also showed Roots your name instead, and, and when we got to the twist in that movie, he's like, "How the hell did you all keep this from me for like two years?" It's like I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm glad we didn't get the show like Roots and Andrew and I'm on the film, honestly, because um, now they're gonna see it with us on the big screen. It's gonna be so much fun. I'm excited. Oh, okay. I need to calm down. <laughs> anyway, so. I think we're good to... Are we good to go to our first yes. set of characters? Okay, good. Again, your last final warning. This is going to be spoiler-filled for the rest of the episode, so please, 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 please be careful, okay? Good. So, we're going to start off... We have a couple groups, and then at this point... And then after that, we're going to be going more individually, including Shioko Fujiwara herself. That's going to be a fun discussion. So, we're going to start with a couple of individuals who are primarily important um, regarding the... Genai um, Studios story. Basically, these two are the more prominent characters in Genai Studios that Shioko Fujiwara uh, interacts, it, interacts with over the course of her lifetime. So we have Miss Eiko Shimao and we have Otaki. 
Eiko Shimao, when young um, Shioko starts out in her career as an f- actress, she is, Eiko is one of the more big, well-known actresses for the studio during that time, and also has a bit of jealousy uh, towards Shioko throughout the course of because basically it feels like Chiyoko shows up and then she kind of gets shoved into all these like old mean spinster roles because yep. Chiyoko is the new cute girl. Yep. And then Otaki, he is, I believe, the nephew yes. of the studio head um, who is an up and coming director, at least at the start of Chiyoko's career. Um, but later on, eventually, after um, he does a ploy to steal things, essentially... Uh, and involves Eiko, he ends up going on to marry Chiyoko for a period of time. Uh, for the individuals who are voicing these characters, from the press release who's playing Eiko Shimao, we have Miss Laura Post, who has been characters and in series like as R- Ragio Kir- yeah, Wow, I can't. Ragio Kiryuin. Thank you. In Kill a Kill. Uh, Aki- Akari. Akari Kawamoto in March Comes In Like a Lion and Miki Okudera in Your Name. Now, Otake was not announced in the press release. We did get confirmation, though, from Eleven Arts as to who this individual is. But also, if you know your anime voice actors and things like that, it is very, very easy to know who this is. Um, Okai, Otakai is voiced by Keith Silverstein, who has been in roles such as Caster of Red in Fate Apocrypha, Aoyama's father in another Eleven Arts dub, Penguin Highway, and because this is fucking me... I have to say it. Uh, Johan Liebert and Monster. <laughs> I was stuck in my head. I've been listening to that song for like the last three days straight. <laughs> You're listening to Humming Isabella's Lullaby right now? Yep. I will always <laughs> hum that. It's such an easy thing to hum. That's why. I know it is. It's so pretty. So Eiko and Otaki. Okay, uh, so I'll be real. That younger Otaki, I could not tell that was Keith Silverstein. <laughs> I knew it an instant. I've heard. I I was I was like, wait a minute. Like, I you're more used to listening to him to me because like whenever I listen to like Keith Silverstein stuff, I'm not used to Johan Liebert. I'm used to him being like more over the top, like uh, like Caster of Red in uh, Ogai Mori. Yeah, I can. can (laughs) Oh, oh. I mean, I mean, my daughter poured OJ in the gas tank and the car exploded. (laughs) (laughs) My dear, my dearest. My dearest Elise. My oh, favorite Elise. thing watching my favorite thing watching season three of Boongo is when uh Hardy goes, So is Elise Ogai's stand or something? I'm like, yes, we went over this in the episode. V PSV to Sextalis, remember? <laughs> it's very true. No, it's like yo what's funny is um while Johan Liebert is the most well known role I know him for, like Johan it's funny you mentioned, like, when he was the younger version of Otaki, you couldn't recognize him, and I did. Johan's character during Monster, I think, is in his early 20s, I believe. So this sounds because, more like a role I've never Anna fucking is, listened. His sister Anna is in school, and she's, they're twins, so. Um, same age range, really. Yeah. So, see, I've never seen Monster because it's not legally available in the States. Thanks, um, Fizz. And thanks, Fizz. <laughs> Thanks, someone guys. Res- thanks. Someone rescue that. Place. Listen here, I might have to import myself an Australian set like oh, I'm on fucking I'm about to say, my, my, my two biggest rescue dreams are Monster and Paranoia Agent. Please, someone do that. Thanks, bye. Uh, just dar- the Dark Lord Quacknecker, if you can hear me. Uh, <laughs> Please. Dark Lord Quacknecker, if you can hear me. Our Lord and Savior. Savior. Uh, no, so I, I genuinely really liked both these performers, especially um, Otaki. You can really hear how Keith ages him up uh, throughout yep. his performance. Same with Absolutely. Laura as Aiko. Um, 
I think she's a little bit more compelling as a character than he is, because he yeah. is a... He's a piece of shit. Um, he be, really is. Real. Like, the, the this is a guy, like, this is a guy, like, the character, not Keith. Keith is a lovely human being. Keith is um, fantastic. The, the character is awful. Like, like, let it be known that the first thing he does when he sees, like, a high school teenage girl is to hit on her. Yeah. And he like, is clearly not in high school. Otaki is one of those characters, and I think this is a small flaw on the film itself. He's not extremely developed, and he's kind of a one-note, one-motivated, one-motivation kind of character. I, I think but that's he, the point, He's also though. one of the smaller characters in the film. Yeah. Like, here's the other thing about Otaki, too. Um, like, there is a clear age gap between him and, and Chiyoko, and the fact yep. is this: he's a creeper pursuing a younger girl. Yep. Um, I think that he does a really good job, especially one of my favorite scenes with him is actually when they're uh, on the beach after uh, what is World War II. And he's trying to seduce her and her key clinks against her martini glass and he stands in there. And then just like the whole, that's when I realized, oh, that's Keith Silverstein. Um, <laughs> that's when you noticed that, it? That's when I figured that out. And I was like, oh, that's, oh, oh, I was like, oh, that's Keith. Um, good job. Took me. Shut up. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Uh, so I think he did her linger job, but let's. The, the real standout between the two is definitely Laura Post as Aiko, who is. She sounds very haughty. She sounds very like, oh my god, why are you making me work with this girl? I don't like her. I hate her. Mm-hmm. I'm like the jealousy, like. And here's the thing: she doesn't do over the top vitriol. No, she does she- it very much in the uh the age old. Uh, she does it in the very Gretzko put your smile on your face at the workplace way. Yeah, kind of does, yeah. Um, there are some times later when she gets older and she's starting to play uh, Chiyoko's mother in a lot of things. Yes. Uh, where she gets a little, a lot more, like, the thing I, I kind of described her as a spinster. I mean, it's it's pretty accurate in terms of, like, character tropes, really. Yeah, she she's very much the, the bitter older woman who... Like, I think she also kind of had a crush on Otaki and lost him to Chiyoko. It's possible, but that distinction It's never really made clear, clear, but like she's a she's a, a she's a mild psychopath, by the way. Um let's just go with this. Eiko pretty much almost gets uh, Chiyoko killed at one point. Yeah. Um but like the whole thing where she steals she steals the key and gives it to Otaki and mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite deliveries by Laura is um, is when Aiko messes up, I think, like a scene where uh, she is, not Aiko, where Chiyoko messes up a scene when she's her, uh, kind of her like 30s and 40 year old self. Oh, about um, getting about, married? Yeah, about getting married. Yep, okay. And she, she kind of has like, the, I want to talk about a certain thing about Chiyoko and what she sees. Uh, when we talk about Chiyoko herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, she goes, um, this, like, I think she kind of says something like, this old lady needs to, like, go take a break or something. Yeah. And she gets up and she goes and she sees uh, another character and she says, uh, it's like, oh, didn't you know uh, the princess, the princess, princess is ne- in a bad mood. Bad mood. Yep. And she says it in that way that is very much like, oh, like, kind of like the Stepford, like step evil stepmom kind of voice. Yeah, like even without then, like, like when without she's... being super over the top. Yeah, like even then when she gave the line of like, 
this old lady has to take a break. Like, you can hear, like, the subtle sarcasm in that delivery, though. Because she really doesn't like these roles, and she really doesn't like playing opposite of Chiyoko. Yeah, like, at all. She she hates her, and yep. I think the big, her kind of, like, the last moment you really get to see her on uh, screen is where uh, Chiyoko is cleaning her, her house in her husband's office, in Otoki's office, and she finds the key, and she says, uh, I was so happy, uh, uh, I guess I played my role as the thief, but I'm, I, but even now, I'm too tired to hate you anymore. Yep. And the way that Laura delivers it is, sounds like a woman who's, who's just really fed up with this and tired. Yep. And she does a great job. Because, what, yeah, one of the key parts with, um, the key getting stolen in the first place is, um, so when Shioko first started and they were filming a film in uh, Manchuria, mm-hmm. um, they were talking about finding the man with the key, who gave, who had the key and everything like that. And, yeah. um, uh, Eiko's idea was for Chioko to see a fortune teller and the fortune teller basically lied to her about where he could be hiding and puts her in danger. Yeah. And it gets her, it gets her into a train wreck. Yep, and it was uh, Eiko who basically set that up, uh, which Otiki found out. So he basically blackmailed her to help her help him steal the key um, from Shioko because he believes it's the one thing that's keeping him from her. Yes, it's the love of this other man. Yes, which is very interesting, honestly. Um, I mean, it's a trope that you can say has been done a few times before, but how it's executed, is, I think it's actually rather well done in the film. Um, are, you, are you good? Yeah, no, I'm good. You can go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I could tell if she was done or not. Um, so going into, I gotta bring my notes a little bit closer to myself. Going into where we first, first meet Otaki, uh, I could tell it was Keith Silverstein instantly. I'm more accustomed to um, his range and what he, how he portrays characters and his performance. Um, so it was very, 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 very quickly. I could figure that out. And Otaki as a character, it is, he's such a s- conniving snake. He really is. He's an asshole. <laughs> and um, not just in not like a it's a subtle like a general subtlety to like that cunning and that um scaly slimy snake that snake persona that otiki kind of has and it's not just we don't just see it towards eiko and shioko we actually see it towards genya as well um because a key part in the film that we find out about genya who's one of the documentary filmmakers who's interviewing older shioko he actually used to work at the studio yes. where um, Shioko did had most of her career. Um, he was a young. I think the way that they, I think the way that Genya himself describes uh, at the video, the beginning of the movie. Because here's another thing about this movie: it's essentially set the way that the the movie is framed is Genya is going to shoot a documentary about Shioko's life. Yes, and this is the first time that since Shioko just outright disappeared from society. Mm-hmm. That she's given an interview, and uh, before they go see him, you see that uh, Guinea Studios is being torn down. Yep, in the distance. Yep, and the, and the, and him and Ida stop there, and he says, um, "This is Guinea Studios, uh, basically that Chioko had sustained it for several decades." Yes, but yeah, like he Oji- Keith is Ojiki, um, 
does give that cunning tone to him. Very reminiscent of Johann Liebert, if you've seen Monster. Um, but, um, Otaki, though, has such a slimy tone to him compared to Johan, though. Um, and I think it's just a fantastic performance from Keith. Um, what's really, really amusing, um, going back to the scene where Chiyoko finds the key again and learns about what happened, basically he kind of shrugs it off. You know how he kind of shrugs it off? He's like, well, what's done is done, right? And then Chiyoko just stares at him like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, you asshole. It was, oh, oh, love it. Fucking, you piece of shit. It's like, I married you. You are such a jerk. <laughs> Why did I do that to myself? I mean, it's never confirmed in the film if she fully does, like, divorce and leave him. It, I think it's at least heavily implied, though, that she does. Um, as for Laura Post as Aiko, excuse me, Laura Post as Aiko is... Oh, Lord. She makes Eiko such a bitch. Eiko is a very jealous individual. Um, but at the same time, Lorapost also has such this, like, prim and proper kind of tone. Like, it's like I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who's special. That kind of tone to it. Like... Almost to an extent of a diva, if that makes sense. She is a diva, that's why. That, yeah, she's an absolute diva. A bit more subtle, a little bit downplayed. But Eiko, at the end of the day, is a diva. She was the center of attention for the studio for the longest time, and then in comes Chiyoko, and she basically ruins everything. And it, she does also make a point during that scene where she admits to it stealing the key for Otaki where she was absolutely jealous of Chiyoko's like youthfulness like her her internal youth that's one of the main things that she's actually jealous of Chiyoko for and um and then how she's like relegated to the old lady the spinster kind of roles and she's just like she's like I've been stuck here aging you are just eternal youth going on here and that's basically the main reason why she's jealous of Shioko. That entire scene it's in and of itself I think is is done absolutely well and for Laura in particular I think that's probably the high point of the performance for her as well. Um, but we do see Eiko while we are going through the repertoire of films for Shioko again Eiko is a part of those same films so we do see Eiko in different films as well. Act portraying, um, God, portraying a. Bad She's usually the various villains that are in Chiyoko's <laughs> way. Yep. So she at one point portrayed a bad ninja. She portrayed a um, mean head geisha. Um, she portrayed a version of Chiyoko's mom in a film too, like we kind of talked about before, where basically the scene is, hey, you you you're not going to be young forever. You need to get married. That whole thing. Um, which that scene doubles as something else entirely, and I think we'll end up discussing that a little bit later. Um, but Laura Post definitely is a standout. It's um, it's a beauty. It's 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 a great, it's a regal and graceful tone, but it does have that underlying subtlety to it um, as to her jealousy. I'm not gonna say hatred. She does hate her, 
but it's not like a seething hatred where it's just like brimming and boiling at the seams, coming at the seams. But you can sense that it's more very subtle tone in terms of the hatred and the jealousy. And I think it's just fantastically done. It's exactly what Aiko should be, honestly. Um, and Laura Post is just fantastic. Are we ready to move on to our next two characters? Yes. Okay. So the next two characters, they, these two are more central to Chiyoko's personal life in general, um, with one in particular that's very, very important. Uh, we have, they don't have actual names. They are referred to as the man with the key and the man with the scar. So the man with the key um, meets a rather young Shioko. She rescues him from being chased by police, um, which the man with the scar, I would assume, is the lead investigator on whatever case this he's is. He's basically like a member, of, he's like a, an investigator with the military police. Yes. Um, the man with the key is a painter. We also find out later on that he's a political activist, um, predating, uh, predating World War II, I believe. Yeah, he's, he's an anti, he's an anti-right activist, basically. There he's, is. He's a leftist. Yes, he is. And he basically is Chiyoko's first love, in a way. Um, he manages to escape the military police and runs away, leaving behind the central symbol, essentially, um, for the entire film, which is the key that Chiyoko has throughout the majority of the film. Um, and is the key to open the most important thing, is what it's referred to as. Um, as for the man with the scar, we, we already kind of described him. He's basically a, a head honcho, um, higher-ups for the military police, who has been chasing the man with the key uh, throughout the entire course of the film. Unfortunately, we do find out later on in the film um, that the man with the key was captured at one point in time, and unfortunately he was tortured to death um, by the man with the scar. To, um, and we're not actually even told that until Genya told, tells us that by the end of the film. Because again, Genya is, did work for Genai Studios when he was younger, and he actually mm -hmm. interacted with the man with the scar, and he's the one who told him about it. Um, so from that point on, um, Chiyoko's basically chasing, as Gen Genya refers to, chasing a shadow um, the rest of the time, throughout mm -hmm. the course of her life. Uh, so these two individuals, they were not on the original press release. Um, we did get confirmation from Eleven Arts on the performance, uh, the castings of both characters. For the man with the scar, I'm going to start with him. We have Mr. J.P. Karlick, um, who has been more in Western animation um, rather than anime. The only other major role he has for anime credits is, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Kuzo Fuyutsuki in the redub of Neon Genesis Evangelium. In terms of Western animation, though, you might know him as Reese in Batman the Killing Joke. <laughs> Sorry. This is a funny one, and I really had to bring it up. He's also the boss baby in Boss Baby Back in Business. You're and welcome, Internet. You are welcome, Internet. And he's also in various other video game roles as well. Uh, as for the man with the key, this is a name that's going to be more familiar to us on the anime side. Um, a little bit, at least. Uh, that is Mr. Greg Chun, who has been characters and performed roles such as Ryo, Ryoru Hirotsu in Bungo Stray Dots, a.k.a. member of old, old distinguished gentleman from Black Blizzard. The, that, that other guy who knows that Mori straight up cut the old uh, mafia leader's throat. Oh, yeah. The other guy who knows that. <laughs> we, yep, he's also Tatsumi Leon... 
Leonard Aragaki in Megalobox, and Hidomi Iba in Sirius the Jaeger. He's the part. Of, he's the part of Megalobox that makes me fucking cry. I have. <laughs> I still need to watch Megalobox. I I own it because it was God. How much did I get it? It was only like thirty. The standard Blu-ray edition. It was like thirty bucks at Blue Moose. Andrew was Andrew. I was texting him. He's like, you had to buy it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I got you should it. have. I was gonna say you should splurge for the the LE. I have the LE and it is bright ass orange. By the way, I, I saw it. Andrew has it too. Yeah. When I visited him, I saw it, but I was like, I would be going to- Like, you can find that thing, like, in the dark. I was- It I, is very bright. My only uh. thing is I was going to- I would be going to that show basically blind. I'm like, I'm not gonna drop the money for a show I may not find. Like, right. but- Don't. That's just me. But anyway. Coughs- Coughs on the girl who bought Katsukiki Tokenrabu blind. Um, Good job. I like Token Rambu. It's it's guaranteed that I will enjoy the hell out of it, even if I'm not happy with it. <laughs> I mean, point taken. So, these two characters, despite being so crucial to the plot, actually don't talk as much. Yep. Um, I'll start with Greg Chun. Uh, I had no fucking idea who played this guy. Um, See, we thought it was Chris Bevins. Th I, I thought, thought it was, it was Robbie Kiji. Damon. I thought it was Chris Bevins at one point. I'm I like, thought it was Robbie this? Damon at one point. Like, I just went through the list of people I knew who were in California, and I was like, God damn it, it's Greg. Again, uh, again, thank you, Greg, Robin stop. for letting us know. <laughs> get, get, Greg, why do you keep? <laughs> Greg, why do you keep doing this to me? Like, I could never point out Greg Chun characters. It's kind of terrifying. It's like Ray Chase. Yeah, like, it's like Greg Chun, Ray Chase, and Damon Mills are, like, the three people I could never- Unless you told me they were in the show, I'd never find them. Yep. Uh, no, I thought Greg was absolutely, like- he, You can definitely see why Chioka fell for him. He he plays up the, like, that kind of mysterious attitude without being like, Hey, you know I'm a rebel. <laughs> like, that type yep. of voice. <laughs> like an angsty teen the, rebel. Like the angsty- Like Sasuke. Like Sasuke. <laughs> on the like Sasuke. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Stop doing the man with the key- The man with the key, uh, a disservice. At he, least his cause disservice. was right- At least his cause was righteous on, like, Sasuke's. Fair. Fuck the war. Fuck the war. Fuck your nat- Fuck nationalism. <laughs> um. Fuck your nationalistic bullshit. Anyway. Um. But- I think that he did a really good job portraying that in the limited capacity that he was there. Um, the part where he talks about uh, the moon yes, is so beautiful. Absolutely. And a huge shout out to uh, the writing, the adaptive writing on that scene about talking about the 14th day and how there's still hope left before the moon is full. Mm -hmm. um, it's just so well done. And then uh, J.P. Carlack as the man with the scar, who you can tell in, in the times that you see him, his voice is growing older. Yep. Because unlike the man with the key, who we you eventually find out uh, the man with the scar tortured and killed. Mm -hmm. um, and he never tells that to Chiyoko. Nope. It's just Genya. She never. She it. Yeah. Genya is the only person who ever knows that he killed this man. Yep. And between the first time you see the man with a scar who looks like, like, honestly, to give everybody, like, a kind of, who's never seen this movie and is for some reason still listening to us at this point, even mm -hmm. though we've, after multiple times, told you just go watch the movie, um, the man with the scar looks like he walked out of an episode of Joker game. Really? He does. You are right. Like, that, if you want a good reference for where the beginning of this movie honestly takes place, the beginning of Choco's, like, life as a movie star takes place is... Joker game. Yeah, that's a good reference. He looks like somebody who walked out of Joker game. 
Yep. Like, he looks like he walked out of D-Agency. Yeah, honestly, he does. You're right. Uh, but when he when he's done, he looks like somebody who's walked out of Megalo Box. Oh, <laughs> god damn it. I can say that as somebody who's watched both. Um, I can't. He, J.P. Carlack goes from being kind of this, like, author- authoritarian villain who, mm-hmm. even at one point when, I think it's when Chiyoko is portraying the geisha... Yes. So it's at the end, it's just before the end of her, uh, the end of her, her early 20s, which is, I want to say this is just before the firebombing of Japan. When the U.S. starts to firebomb Japan and eventually, uh, we, we drop the nuclear bomb on Because we have the geisha scene and then we have... A little no. The war it's film. The, it's the montage of other films that Shioko does, but then she's. It's the film where she's imprisoned. Yeah, it's the film where she goes from the Meiji era because yep. I've watched Meiji Tokyo Renka and that outfit looks like something like May would wear. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, she goes the kind of Meiji era film to the to the war film. Yep, because because it goes the, the prison film goes where she opens the door and the movie transitions from uh. Her being in the Meiji present to the firebombing in Japan. Yep. So it goes um, through that, and then I think the imprisonment and her briefly seeing no the, the man imprisonment's with the before key again. The imprisonment is before the imprisonment is before the firebombing. The firebombing. Yep. She sees the man with the key again, and Gretchen again can't really tell it's him, but the man with the scar confronts her and goes, "You're lying to me," mm-hmm. and that's why he arrests her. Yep. Uh, uh, for truancy in the next in the next film. But, uh, and then she gets out, but to me, I think the most heartbreaking scene is with him is when he's this old man who's gone blind in one eye and is homeless. Yep. He is at the lowest of his life and he gets on his knees and goes, please forgive me for what I've done. And his voice is just so very haunting. And then you get where, when Genya is like, yeah, no, he, he told me he died and what he did. And it's just A plus guys. So go ahead, Steph. Yeah, like, kind of just to piggyback off of that, um, with especially with that scene for JP, it's the reason why he decided to seek out Shioko is he wanted to atone for the mistakes he's done. That's his reasoning for seeking out every single person that he's ever hurt in his life, is for atonement. And Shioko is one of them because, I mean, again, based on what we can tell, granted reality and cinema do blend and blur the lines a bit here so it's we can say it's very much implied that Shioka was imprisoned for being an accomplice to this political activist um and they wanted information from her for it but um yeah that scene is just he's JP is very haunting very very haunting um throughout the course of that scene and then even the younger versions too he's very authoritative and very strong and strict and it's it's a really interesting performance to me i know nothing about jp carolick nothing yeah i have not watched the ava dub i have not watched the ava dub i have not seen killing joke and i apologize i've never seen boss baby back in business none of us have and none of us will no offense um but yeah i'm not gonna ever probably watch that no offense but anyway, um, 
that performance and the transition from this authoritative militaristic personality into essentially what we can see as a broken man on the Mm -hmm. on a journey for repentance um for all of his actions that he did during the wartime it's a very it's a it's a very smooth progression and transition with the character um though there it, it does it may seem a little bit abrupt that shift in character but all of a sudden we see him again but at the same time mm-hmm. given the move given the film itself and how the story of Chiyoko's life does progress throughout the course of it it makes sense because it's again specifically through her eyes that all of a sudden we have this abrupt visitor and this man with the scar comes back as an old man and he's just like sorry for what he did um, as for the man with the key and Greg Chun, that was, it was downright, I, for some reason the word I want to use is chilling, but I know that's not the right word I want to use. It's, it's not the, what? It's not the right word. No, it's not. I know, but it's, I know what you mean. It's like, the man with the key is probably the most important character in this story without him this story in the film would go nowhere he is the main motivation for Chiyoko to even get into film in the first place he is the main motivation for her determination and everything else she's done in her life because he's the one that she wants to see again um and that key that she ends up having is just is a reminder of what she's searching for um and it's the performance that greg has to portray not only has to convince us no convince chiyoko to into motivating herself into this um path in her life but also convince the audience as well to see to show us hey this guy is mysterious but he's a kind and gentle soul and we want to see him again he needs to be an interesting enough character um for us to really follow and accept chiyoko's mindset of wanting to see him again and greg chun's performance of that character is just i think it's really well done it's it has the mysterious air to it. It has the gentle, kind soul. Um, it has the philosophical tones to it. Like that whole scene in the storehouse with mm-hmm. the discussion of the moon. It was just, it honestly was really breathtaking and very well done. So since The Man with the Key is a huge, important piece in the story itself, Greg Chun portrayed it very, very well in order to convince Chiyoko and the audience that, hey, we do want to see this character again. This guy is worth the hunt and the search for. Um, so I think this is the performance is very well done. Absolutely. Okay. So now that we've talked about two individuals more involved with Chiyoko's personal life, we're the next two characters. We're going to talk about the, in, them individually, but uh, we are going to discuss the two documentary filmmakers uh, that are involved in the story and do and our two of the main characters of the film itself but first we're gonna start we're gonna talk about Kyoji Ida 
who is the cameraman and also looks like a hippie hipster kind of dude. <laughs> and Ida's main purpose in the film is to be the person grounded in reality and also break the fourth wall on several occasions. He's the one that doesn't fall for this reality bending horseshit. <laughs> yes. Um, and he's Ida's a fun ass character. Um, I honestly didn't appreciate Ida before watching the dub, which is great. Um, cause in the Japanese, he's kind of just there, um, as a little bit of a comedic relief type character in my eyes, but watching the film in English now, he's more of the fourth wall breaking kind of character. Um, which in a film like this, it's definitely needed. So, who the individual who is voicing Ida, it's one Mr. Ben Diskin, who I'm pretty sure a lot of people are very familiar with. He has portrayed characters such as Wolf in Blood Lad, Bond in The Seven Deadly Sins, and Yasgroff in Sirius the Jaegar. Okay, so let's be let's be real right off the bat that Ben Diskin's character is the funniest character in the movie. Yeah, actually. I can, again, I appreciate this character more in English now. Uh, he is absolutely hilarious. In the sense that he he is very much the guy who's like, why are we even here? What is this, you, you freaking old, you, you damn boomers. <laughs> um, he is very much the, the audience surrogate to, to, this, to this. Because yeah. obviously, Genya, you... As the movie goes on, he's kind of also the person who's unfolding this mystery too by watching his his boss be crazy, and he's just like, "What are you doing? Why are you acting these out with this?" Because like for yeah. him, he's seeing he's seeing the like the weird way that uh, reality is presented, memory is presented as this reality as this interactive film that you walk into. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, they are just sitting in in Chiyoko's living room. Yeah, and he's just there like. The fuck, y'all? Basically, like, no, Millennium Actress. Old school VR before VR was cool. <laughs> yeah. Suck on this, Beat Saber. Let's go. Um, <laughs> but, like, he's just there. And, and Ben, the way that Ben plays him is is obviously, he's a little nerdy. But he never does, like, the, the Poindexter voice. Yes. He, he does sound a little bit, he sounds younger. But he sounds very much like, okay, why? Why are we doing this? What's going on? Why are we here? Is this happening? Hello? Does the bus run through here? Yep. Uh, there are times where he's just like, Boss, what the? You're And then some of my other favorite deliveries is like when Kenya's getting so into it that he's like walking in front of things. And he's like, you're in the shot. Yep. <laughs> um, Ben's performance is very, very funny. Yeah. Um, it's, But it's not like... It's not that it's funny and takes away from the film. Obviously, when it needs to be more quiet, more contemplative and serious, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it when it does need to punch itself up, it does. Ben is a master of his craft at this point. Yes. I don't think any of us have ever actually said anything bad about Ben Diskas for a reason. Um, long live you, Hydus human Sona. <laughs> yep. I, it's hard. To, it's hard to say because I think that. Koji Ida is a lot of fun to listen to, and I think Ben's performance is a lot of fun to listen to, but, like, he's the audience surrogate, yep. and because of that, like, 
it's it's hard to talk about his character without talking about other characters' performances because he bounces off Genya's actor so well. Oh, absolutely. Like the chem- even though dubs are not recorded in the same with the room with each other with unless through certain circumstances mm-hmm. and we don't know if there were in this case. I think that Ben's Ben's chemistry with uh, Genya's Genya's actor is phenomenal and Ben's energy that he brings to the movie. Uh, is unlike any other characters, too. He is very much the straight man to all of what the fuck's going on. Uh, So great job, Ben, and I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, I think the main purpose of Ida as a character is, like you said, he's the audience surrogate. Because there's so much going on, and you can't really tell what's real and what's film anymore um, throughout the course of this movie. Because both the both intertwine and bleed over each other um, rather seamlessly. So it's good to have Ida as a character to not only be the audience surrogate, but the one who's grounded in the reality of what's actually going on. He's not an active player in the films themselves, while Genya, on the other hand, he's just full force taking part of it. And (laughs) Ben Diskin gives Ida such a fun tone to him a good amount of it he is a hilarious character i think it's kind of in its own way a dry humor it's a it it can be a very dry humor i think that's the kind of comedic tone that this character has which this works very well it's not comedic like megan was saying it's not a comedic hammy kind of performance but it's a much more subtle one and as the audience surrogate, as the one grounded in this reality, the dry humor and a good amount of the fourth wall breaking. Um, well, I wouldn't say fourth wall breaking to the audience, more like a fourth wall breaking to the f- characters in the film. Film. Not to the audience. It's like He's very self-aware about the movies that he's in. Yeah. When, I, when I call it fourth wall breaking, I refer to him breaking the fourth wall in the, the sequence of events that he's involved with. Um, not towards us. There's no, there's no point in time where Ida actually does break the actual fourth wall to the audience who's watching the film. Um, it's such a great performance, and I've always loved Ben Diskin and, and and whatever he does. Like Megan, I don't think we've ever had an instance where it's a poor or a bad performance when Ben Diskin is involved. Um, but at the end of the day, I honestly. Ida was a character I kind of found annoying in the Japanese. Ben made him not only more tolerable, but much more... I can I can see the surrogate much more clearly. I can see the dry... I can hear the dry humor much more clearly. It's definitely a performance that makes me appreciate the character a lot more than I did before. Um, so for that, I salute you, sir. You are fantastic. Um, we good to move on? Yes. Okay. Let's talk about our other documentary filmmaker and <laughs> fanboy. Chiyoko Fujiwara fanboy. That's going to be a very important thing um, in this discussion. Uh, Genya Tachibana. So he is, I believe he's the studio head for Lotus Studios. That's the studio that is producing the documentary about Genai uh, Studios. Um and interviewing Chiyoka Fujiwara. Uh, Genya, we've mentioned a few times before, he actually used to work when he was younger for Genai Studios and has had interactions with Chiyoka, which by the time we did learn that he was, uh, he, I guess he was like maybe like a, a grunt or a production assistant during that time. Yeah, he was like a, he was like a lower level production uh, apprentice at Genya Studios who never 
really moved his way up because he kept getting told off by Oto- uh, Otoki. Otoki. Yep. Um, so he's this little overgrunt. So by the time we learn this a little bit, um, he does have a few interactions with um, adult Chiyoko. Um, not so much young Chiyoko. Uh, young Chiyoko never interacts with Genya at all. It's mostly just the adult version and the elder version. So voicing Genya Tachibana is Christian Swindler. I swear to God, and I was on the phone with Andrew last night too, we tried very hard to find any credits for this person. We found nothing. This is the only named character um, on ANN that he's had. There is nothing on IMDB as far as we can tell. Nothing on uh, BTAV or BTVA. Um, nothing. Yeah, like, we cannot find anything about this guy. So, for all intents and purposes, and based on what we know, this is the first role that we've ever seen from this individual. Whether or not he's been in, in, involved in theater, involved in actual films, well, granted, we would have seen something if he was. Short films, anything. Video games. We know nothing about this person. Outside of him being Genya Tachibana. <laughs> and I believe he is both older and younger Genya. Like, we did not get a clarification. We did not get a that. clarification. That's something I did not get to ask. I completely forgot. Excuse me. But yeah, we absolutely know nothing about this person. So, so we are going to assume that he is. <laughs> we are going to assume <laughs> that he is. And if we're wrong, we're going to assume he's younger Genya, but we're going to also assume that this is. If we're is, wrong, we'll put an annotation here on YouTube. Probably. <laughs> um, but. We also got to assume that this is his first role ever. You yes. have to assume it. Uh, yeah, no, this is my favorite performance in the film. Nice. He does old Genya. He does older, like, 40-year-old Genya. He does younger Genya with such a plum. He does the bad acting that Genya does throughout the movies because Genya keeps self-inserting himself as these people who save and help Chiyoko uh, through her life as these characters in movies, whether they be... Random ninja, uh, sugar daddy rickshaw drivers. Yes. Um, that one's my personal favorite. <laughs> that one was fantastic. I've got three billion. Yen, I've got three million yen to get you out. Um, whether it be uh, a desperate spaceman trying to prevent him from going, and it, Christian plays him with such energy and aplomb, and he knows when to reel it back in. He knows when to to do the bad acting. He knows when to be emotional. He knows when to uh, to do all these things because you find out as as much as Chiyoko is pursuing the man with the key. He she was his first love. Yeah, that's a key part of his character. Uh, and that he was pursuing her, and you find out later that he uh, saves her in an earthquake because earthquakes are something that always follows her. Yep. It's, it's um, even explicitly stated, She um, older Shioko said when she was born, she was actually born during an earthquake. The great She was born through the Great Kanto earthquake. Yes. And it killed her dad. Yep. Um, it's, he is so much fun to, to listen to uh, when he's emotional. But for me, I think the most fun that Christian gets to have is when he's self-inserting himself into all these movies. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's so, it's so fun and... It's just genuinely very funny and char- it's such a funny and charming performance. And he brings out like this quibble in his lo- like his quibble in his voice, especially when he's like reciting all the words. Yep. And the thing that really gets me is how much he sounds like an honest to God fanboy. 
That's which, the key part in this. And and it's never in the way that you see in like a lot of parody stuff. No. Where like he's like an obnoxious Poindexter. It's of, also like, not like I cried to this part fifty three times. It's also not to the extent of speaking of fanboys and speaking of Cone, uh, Perfect Blue. Um, there is not the crazy, not the, the creepy crazy rapist stalker, stalker kind of fanboy that we run into. Not the right creepy now. rapist stalker guy. It's, no, it's no, no. It's a nice blend. It's in the middle. He's very much just a charming, and he almost feels, even when he's like a 40-something-year-old man, like uh, a a childish sense to him, yeah. and this wonder. Um, I just I just love, at the beginning, this is Genai's studio, and he sounds like he's doing his best David Attenborough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> David Attenborough presents Weebs on the Move. Um, <laughs> Weebs on the Move. But I, I, I love this. This is an actor who you better please start putting you, please, gentle sir, good sir, please start doing more anime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you are, if you are this good, please start doing more anime. Uh, I, I want, I don't want to take everything. So Steph, go ahead. I mean, I'm gonna piggyback off of you. Yeah, like please, sir, do more anime. Like clearly, again, for us, for all intents and purposes, for us, he is completely unknown. So for us. This is his first role, like, ever in our minds. He has acting chops, clearly. Um, more than likely, he's been professionally trained. I would have to assume that, because you can't tell but if he's a brand new actor. So I'm going to assume he has some um, credits and he has an acting resume somewhere. Um, we just don't know anything about this person. And, um... He, there's a, such a wonderful blend to this character that I love so much. There's the fanboy, there's the um, kind-hearted um, man, the emotional man, the gentle... He has like a childlike wonder to him sometimes. And he gets a lot of the fun aspects as well for it. It gives just enough a com of a comedic tone from being too hammy. And this includes the moments where he is being the bad actor. It's not an over-the-top... Each of the roles that he self-inserts himself into, they're not over-the-top for it to be corny and cheesy and hammy. They're just enough to get the point across, which I think is very, very well done. Um, and... <laughs> Genya is such... He, he definitely is a fanboy, but he also has this inner turmoil um whenever we see through the course of the film um whenever we see otaki you can tell he hates this bastard <laughs> um older genna genya like because he knows he, he fucking knows that's the subtlest hint about it um that he, that genya knows much more than what's led on it's not a subtle anger because of like jealousy or or like as a fanboy kind of jealousy it's an anger because he knows the events he knows what happens through his point of view and who otiki really is so those are the subtle hints of genya actually being more involved in the story than what we originally thought in the beginning so and it gives us more motive it gives him motivation and more motivation and more reason than just being the fanboy because legitimately it, it shows that he did have feelings and an affection for her um, more than just being a fan of her films. And 
he is very he's very much a selfless person um a selfless character because he saved chiyoko twice he saved chiyoko one time during a filming of uh, one of her films right before she just up and vanished for 30 years mm -hmm. and he also saves her again during the interview with chiyoko when because another earthquake occurred occurs it happens a couple times in the film actually but um this one before she really just keeled over from um whatever her illness is um and was shipped to the hospital towards the end he does save her from another falling beam during an earthquake before she passes away of like i think her heart i think her she's a heart attack or something. i think something like that um it's not made 100% clear, and unfortunately, because there are prescription bags um, mm -hmm. in one shot, uh, we don't have a translation as to what exactly those are um, in terms of medications. But um, he's a very selfless individual. He's a very kind-hearted individual. Um, he's very funny. <laughs> he's, like, there's a lot of aspects. You, you would think in the beginning that Genya is a surface-level character of, like, oh, he's the fanboy. He's he's a upstart documentary person and a fanboy and all he wants is just talk to this person but there's actually more layers and more depth to Genya's character um compared to compared to Ida. Ida only serves one purpose throughout the film. Genya has more complexity and more of a story to him and Christian Swindler is I think downright fantastic throughout the whole course of the film from every little aspect of it. Um I think we're good to move on. Yes. We're going to do something very, very challenging and different. So, the last character we have is Chiyoko Fujiwara herself. There are actually three voices to Chiyoko. There's a young version, an adult version, and an elder version. Mm -hmm. We're going to do something very crazy, and we're going to talk about each performance separately. We're not going to cover all of them together. Because realistically, with these stages in Shoko's life, each one, both of us feel, is very significant in terms of performance. So, we're going to start with the young Chiyoko Fujiwara, um, who, her range in terms of the film kind of occurs from, obviously, the early start of Shoko's career, at least up to um, the uh, firebombing incident. Uh, so it's, we get, Chiyo, uh, younger Chiyoko is probably the one we see the most throughout the film. Um, yes. So, in terms of who voices the younger version of Chiyoko Fujiwara, that is Miss Abby Trot, who has portrayed characters such as Ichi Mizato in Mob Psycho 100, Veronica in The Seven Deadly Sins, and Yukon, uh, Yukino, why did it, it autocorrected on me. <laughs> Thanks, autocorrect. Thanks, autocorrect. Uh, Yukina, I believe it is, right? I believe, I think it's Yukina, and if I'm right, she's the girl with the fucking back muscles. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, but it's, um, I, it's Kabanari of the Iron Fortress. Hold on a second. I, I, I need to make sure that she's... Hell yeah! Hell yeah! She's the girl with the, the fucking back muscles! <laughs> Megan is happy now. But, um... No! I love that character! She's the train driver! And she could literally, she is literally one of, like, the, like, here's the thing. I love in anime where there are girls who are, like, I'm muscular and strong and they actually draw them with muscles. Yeah. Like, amen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anyway. Amen. Amen, friends. Anyway. Abby Trot, what do you think of little Babby? I, I, she is, I think she is my favorite of the Chiyokos. Um, she is so youthful and cheerful and getting to hear her, like, one of the fun things about Abby as Abby getting to play young Chiyoko is that she has to learn how to become a better actress as she grows up. Yep, that's what, that's um, definitely one of the challenges that she has to overcome. She has to learn how to go from being this naive schoolgirl to this, like, icon of Japanese cinema. And because it, it kind of, like, the way that they imply it in the movie is that Chiyoko becomes, like, the biggest name in Japanese movies of all time. Pretty much, yes. In this, in, in this fictional version of Japan. And uh, she she has this one part in the beginning with, uh, uh, sorry, the scroll back up for names, with Eiko, where they're in Mon- uh, Machoria, and she is, like, she flubs up her line yep. because she's nervous and she's thinking about uh, the man with the key, and then she, she taps into those feelings and everyone's like, holy shit, you could act. Um, yeah, basically. And I, I loved it. She she has these moments, and now I can finally talk about this. Uh, one of my absolute favorite moments that Abby nails with the, the drama and this the sense that, by the way, one of the things I also really kind of appreciate about Abby's performance is that you can tell that she's acting uh, like somebody would in the films of that time period. Yep, absolutely. Um, oh, I think I know where you're about to go with this. You better know where we're about to go with this. Because... Uh, Assuming that she's like what sixteen when they're starting, she's probably like maybe in her mid, her early mid, her like late twenties when Japan gets when the war ends. Yeah, um, because at that point, because um, adult Shioko is the range of twenties to forties. Thirties and forties, I think. I'll check. You keep going. Because no, I'm thinking about time periods of actual cinema. Okay, yeah. Maybe. I want to say that when she probably is starting her movies, it's right, it's very, it's not that much time after sound has been uh, presented in films on a regular basis. Okay. Uh, so if everyone's like, wait, what What does that mean? Like, you you have to understand that, like, and this is going to be sound, sound really, really weird. If you ever want a really good explanation and like how sound works in the films of that time period sing it in the rain go watch it Mm. go watch that movie that's actually what when i was in college uh when i started my intro to film studies you did like uh different things that make up a movie before moving into different genres yeah so i think it was like shots uh editing like a bunch of stuff and sound was you did singing we did singing in the rain was the movie for sound i just because I, I i don't i know one of them was citizen kane i know one of them was eight and a half which is an italian movie a very long italian movie okay so yeah to be correct abby trot is considered the teenage version of chioko um the ad- so her 10s and her 20s no adult adult uh, chioko is the 20s to 40s age range okay She's a teenager. She's a teenager. She's the teenager one. Uh, she's in high school when they ask her to, to become an actress. And one of the other things is I really love how awkward she is with her mom and the guy who's trying to recruit her. She's like, Mom. And her mom's like, 
isn't the best way to serve Japan by having lots of babies and that's what she she just gets up and leaves. Yep. Um, it's, and it happens very she early on. This, it's kind of funny. It's like one of the first like real moments with young younger Chiyoko. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but Abby, the way that Abby acts when she's doing a lot of the movie scenes is that she's projecting her voice in a way that I feel like you would have to if you were a live action actor during that time period with the way the technology is done. Yep. It's not like today where like there's probably like little mics on you and boom mics and digital and eighty and they can go in and do it like. Okay, they can technically... Like, they had a way to do ADR back then. Again, go watch Singing in the Rain. You'll understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that she acts feels very much like it is from that time period. And to me, the standout scene for her is when she's in this very old Shogunate movie. Yes. Uh, it's a movie based off, like, like the Shogunate. And she she meets with this this weird vision in the movie, this crazy old lady who I I think is somebody I don't know who plays her, we didn't ask, whoops. Uh, and that says, uh, I have always loved you and I have always hate you. Uh, it, you've drank this, now you'll always be searching for a hundred years. I think, call me crazy, I think that might be the... S- the voice of that old vision, because that haunts her throughout the course of the film. When, she, when we after we first do, you think it's the voice the voice actress for older Chiyoko? No, I think it's the mom. Ah, I think it might be the mom. That's just my my we, opinion, but I could be wrong. Our opinion, we could totally be wrong. Uh, but I think that she that's the scene that you really have to nail for younger Chiyoko yes. up with the the prison scene, where she starts screaming, crying to go see the love of her life before it goes into the war, and she finds the drawing that he did of her, the painting he did of yes. her, as a young girl. Uh, Abby absolutely knocks it out of the park, and I am so happy that she did this because Abby Trod is not a voice actress that I get to talk a lot about. So. No, I know. I'm glad too because <laughs> Abby is still relatively new. Um, I think the first time, at least, I know I ever talked to her was in Mob Psycho, um, and it's been a couple of years, and she's really established herself. And this is definitely, I think, a very big breakout role for her. Because Chiyoko, the character herself, is a very complex one with everything involved. Younger Chiyoko is both... She shows a curiosity um, and an innocence about her, as well as this determination. Because, again, the man with the key is a huge driving force and a huge motivation for her to get into the film industry in order to find him again. Um... And you are absolutely correct in that she, Abby has to learn how to, Abby as Chiyoko has to learn how to act. And as starting as an amateur, like no name actress and growing as she progresses with the films, which is a completely, I would say that's a bit of a challenge uh, for Abby to overcome, considering that she is a very good voice actress. And at the same time, she also portrays Chiyoko's innocence and this childlike curiosity and wonder because she has a huge curiosity about the man with the key she could have just downright turned him over to the police when like they first meet but she has such a curiosity about him and um we don't exactly know what attracted her to him in the first place and it that makes it part of the mystery to us too if over the course of the film but for Abby, 
to portray this younger version of Chiyoko. I think it's well done. Um, this actually isn't my favorite version of Chiyoko, though. Um, but she betrays that innocence. She portrays that determination. And she does very well done with the progression of acting experience that Chiyoko gains through over the course of the, the teen years of her life. Um, and I do love the, the shogunate scene, too, with this old... This old bitty just cursing her all the damn day um it's it's a lot of fun it's a fantastic performance for sure um all three of these chiyoko iterations are all fantastic um and a note for all three in general is is like they all blend together so seamlessly you can't you can tell it's the same character if you didn't know that they were three different voices i could almost say that they actually blend together so well as one voice Mm -hmm. Like, if you weren't made aware of that fact, all three of the actresses who portray Chiyoko do extremely well in portraying a single character, making her have a single voice. And I think that's, to Abby Trod and our other two, Chiyoko's credits, um, I think that's very well done on, on their parts as well as the directing. Um, but Abby Trod is an adorable, sweet little girl, and we just love her to pieces. Um... We want to move on to Adult Chiyoko? Yes. Adult Chiyoko covers the age range of 20s to 40s. Um, in terms of the movie itself, it's about after the um, firebombing, and um, it at least kind of goes up. It's uh, it's post-war it's post Japan. Post-war Japan, and at least goes up to... Um, the Adult Chiyoko goes up to the last film that she was involved with, in, which was like a, a space... A space exploration. Kind I of would film. say maybe. Oh god, it, it's after th they start launching people into space, so it's at least the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, that's probably the year, the time chronological range we're thinking of here. But um, that that film, in terms of uh, like space exploration and stuff like that, I that's pretty much the last film that she was on, um, or she tried filming because she did panic and up and disappear all of a sudden. Um, as the voice of adult Chiyoko, we have Miss Erin Yvette. This is actually her first anime credit, however, she is more prominently known uh, in video games, specifically more the Telltale games. So, she has voiced characters in video games such as Luminous Bassette in Smite. She is Sasha from Telltale's Tales of the Borderlands, and, and this is where I actually mostly know her for, because I'm currently playing this game. She's Snow White in Telltale's The Wolf Among Us. Cool. I have no background on Aaron Yvette this, as an actor. Don't worry. Wolf Among Us is the only thing I know. <laughs> I have played none of those. Um, I think that she she does a lot. Even though I've noticed that uh, kind of adult Chiyoko doesn't talk as much as the other two. Adult Chiyoko doesn't have as much screen time as, as many lines. So uh, there's a bit of a disadvantage. But, yeah, and a lot of it, it I, I think, because to me, the biggest thing that adult Chiyoko does is she goes, she runs away to Hokkaido. Yes. To go find That's him. That's the biggest thing for her. After, after the man with the scar tells her. And that move, that sequence is done almost exclusively through uh, music and flashback, music and, and editing. Yes. And, and it's, a lot of it's, panic. It's <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> and it's phenomenal. Um. I, I really liked it. I thought she was super solid, especially for her first time in anime. She has this... 
She doesn't make her sound too young. She doesn't make her sound old lady. She makes her sound like somebody in their, their mostly their 30s and their 40s. Um, she's not like slowing down to talk like this. She's very much like, hey, like, she's not like, hey guys. It's more like, hey, how are you? And she goes through a lot of her. And to me, when she's got to find that key after seeing the vision of the old lady, the old lady from the Shogunate film. Yes. Uh, in the in the thing after she's talking about getting having to get married, is just and freaking out about the key and it, she is fantastic. She's super super solid. She's very she makes her sound very pretty. She makes her sound unsure of herself even though she's an adult. Um, she has these moments of apprehension in her voice, especially when uh, she confronts. Uh, Otaki about stealing the key to steal her heart. Yep. Um, just standout job. I just wish that this character had more part of her life had more screen time so I could talk more. Yeah, I know. That's that's the that's the downside of this film where adult Shioko doesn't have. We don't get to see a lot of adult Shioko um, because a lot of Shioko's career really just kicked in while she was a teenager. Um, in all honesty, but she, uh, adult Shoko does still have a lot to do. Like you were saying, there's the scene where she goes to Hokkaido um, to find the man with the key again. Um, but and you will probably want to cry your eyes out. Yeah. That whole scene. No, I actually wanted to cry my eyes out when she was in the rocket. Oh yeah, we're okay. Let's be let's be real. Uh, Adult, adult Chiyoko, she gets kind of one of this one line. She, adult Chiyoko, and I want you to say adult it. Adult Chiyoko is the Chiyoko we end the film on. Yes, sure. and I want—I guess you say the line. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Crap, I can't remember it for. I can't remember it for verbatim. Um, I don't know if you remember it verbatim. It is um, when she's 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 passed. Uh, the movie fades eventually into this rocket streaking across the stars and I think it fades from older Chioka to her it's like but I think the real the thing uh, I love the most was the pursuit yes the pursuit of him and that's yeah, was what, the pursuit of that's what kept her going for so long is the actual pursuit of him it's less getting with him it was the whole idea of finding him yeah because I mean we'll talk about adult um, elder Chioko in a minute um, afterwards but we learn from Elder Chiyoko that she, she ran away and she stopped looking because she didn't want the man with the key to see her as she was then. Because he remembers her as the little girl. Um, that's a very important bit of the film, too. But Erin, um, for her first outing as adult Chiyoko, what a way to break out into the anime world, first of all. <laughs> And, um, again, to the film's detriment, there's not a lot of adult Shioko, but she does play a huge integral part of the story um, because of this trip to Hokkaido. And I think Erin gives this version of Shioko, she gives adult Shioko such a beauty and a grace about her, um, which is, which shows a level of maturity. But this version of Shioko also is still rather fragile and vulnerable because remember it's this chiyoko who loses who loses the key twice 
This is the Chiyoko who is the only Chiyoko who actually lost the key. Twice. And both times, in its own way, she kind of regressed and blocked her memories of the man with the key. Only to get those memories and those feelings back after getting that key back on both occasions. Um, the, second, the second occasion being as Elder Chiyoko from Genya. But, um, just the sheer panic of losing the key, just this fragile human being, this fragile woman who is mature, but yet you still feel and you still sense that she's still searching. She's still searching, she's still trying to find this person that she knew years ago. Um, and this more pertains to Elder Shioko. By the end of it, she is aware by this point <coughs> that the man with the key is dead. Whether or not it's through knowing about his fate with the man with the scar, or if by chance maybe he just died of old age, we don't. She doesn't. We don't know, and that's not made clear in terms of how Chiyoko knows or what she knows. Yeah, she never. She never finds out that he he got killed. No, as far as we know, if she never found out that he was murdered, for all she knows, he probably died an old man. That's all. That's probably all she knows. But Aaron's portrayal of the adult version of Chiyoko, you can see the progression, and I'm gonna tell, and when we get to um, Elder Chiyoko in a second, you're gonna see the progression and my through line in terms of this growth of the character. She's a very graceful um, person, and she has that beauty and grace, and I think it's just portrayed rather well. Um, since Telltale unfortunately went under, I would love to see Aaron Yvette in more anime. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, but Unfortunately, to the film's detriment, we don't have a lot of adult Shioko. But she did sell the last line of the film very well. She did close mm -hmm. the film out beautifully, and I just absolutely loved it. All right. Elder Chiyoko? Yeah, it's Elder Chiyoko time. All right. So the elder version of Chiyoko, she is essentially... Um, she's in her... Probably, because if it's 40, she's in her 70s? Because it's at least a 30 year time frame before um, Genya finds her and does the interview with her. And Elder Chiyoko, she's been a, more of a recluse. She lives um, away from the limelight and everything like that. But um, when she's given the key back by Genya, because the key part is, the second part, the second time that um, adult Chiyoko um, loses the key, Genya's the one who finds it. And he's been trying to find her and give it back to her the entire time. See, there's a through line here. <laughs> it's a circle. It's a circle of life. Um, <laughs> but Elder Chiyoko serves as the exposition dump in a way. Because we're... we're She's basically the narrator. She's the narrator of her life and is telling the story um, to Genya and Ida. The woman who voices Elder Chiyoko is one Miss Cindy Robinson. She has portrayed characters such as Kyo... I'm not going to pronounce that correctly. Kyoyo Ozuki. Kyoyo Ozuki, thank you. In Bungo Stray Dogs. Sirene in Devilman Crybaby. And this is probably what most people might know her for. She is Balsa in Moribito Guardian of the Spirit. Which is a movie that I need it to watch. It is not a movie, it's a TV show. It's a TV show I need to watch. <laughs> Okay. I've been told very good things about Morito. I need to watch it too. I have. Uh, go ahead. Uh, 
I will not lie that every time Kyoya Ozaki shows up in Bungo, I get very happy because she's my favorite. She's my other favorite character. She's fantastic. <laughs> she's my she's my favorite. Okay, Kyoya is my favorite female character in all of Bungo, which explains a lot. Cindy Robinson is great as uh, Elder Chiyoko, who I I love the fact that like there's this thing about being uh being there for a thousand years, and I think that her name means like a thousand years. I think it does actually. Keep talking. I'm gonna look this up. Uh, I'm already doing it for you. Oh, <laughs> fine. I see how it is. Yeah, thousand child is what it Makes means. Sense. Da 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 da. Uh, I love that she plays her as both this like longing person who, like, is very clearly still like deeply upset by the things that have happened in her life. Uh, and haunted by them, but also as this genuinely open and warm person who she has these moments where, like, she's just playing with Genya, getting to relive the happy moments of her life. Uh, Like, when, uh, I think it's when they're doing the Shogunate movie, and it cuts, and the other earthquake happens, and it cuts back, and you see her bouncing herself as if she's riding a horse. It's so adorable. It's really cute, and her her voice is so like so charming and so like like your own grandma telling you stories. But it's also so sad at points, like um, when I think she coughs and she's feeling sick, and Genya says, "Do you want us to do it tomorrow?" She goes, and the delivery of the line, "Please let me keep going. I fear if we do this tomorrow, I won't remember." Mostly because she dies at the end of the movie. Um, (laughs) Um. She dies, guys. Sorry. Um, she is absolutely wonderful in this, and it's just so heartwarming and and warm and heartbreaking. And what really breaks your heart is when she's in the hospital bed and she hands Genya the key again and does her final goodbyes to him. No, 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 no. She never gives him the key. She holds. Yes, yeah, she, no, she does. Oh, she, she holds, holds it in it her desk. She's like, I have this now. Now I can now, go back to searching for him. Back to, for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it feels more like she... Sorry, my, my apology is brain fried. Okay. It feels more like she didn't want to search for him, not because she had to get old, but because she didn't have the key anymore. Like, I, I yeah, I completely see that, because the key... The key... Remember when we said the key <laughs> is opens what is most important. For Chiyoko... The key is, what's most important is the pursuit. pursuit and the memories of him. Yeah. And one of my other favorite things is, it's it's a way that they shot does in the movie, where she talks about how she doesn't want to see him. And you can tell that the way that Cindy plays her, she is on the verge of tears herself, yeah. is that uh, she the earthquake comes and causes her to drop the picture of her younger self, which sh- shatters. Yes. Therefore, her... Her hope or her his vision of her is no longer there. It's now broken and worn through the years. Because even then, remember, when they find it, it's like a miracle that they found this. Because it was the one thing still standing in their shop from the firebombing. Yes. And she kept so it So it's like, after all of... The, yeah. And after all the things she's been through, it's her own, her own death that's... Or her own fear and admission that breaks it for why she stopped. Yep. Cindy is such a she is my second favorite part of the of the Chiyokos and she is so strong as this narrator and this this person who is just weaving this story through and 
she never makes her sound like the super old granny that I think a lot of anime still does do. Uh, It's so beautiful and so moving and just... Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. I'm going to say this. Right off the bat, the instant I saw and heard Cindy Robinson as Elder Chiyoko, I fell in love with it instantly. The Elder Chiyoko, again, this through line that I've been describing with the three Chiyokos, Elder Chiyoko is a very refined and regal voice to her. Like, she's very mature, she has grown, while the adult Chiyoko has that beauty and grace that Aaron Yvette gives, Cindy Robinson gives Elder Chiyoko a much more refined and refined tone to her. Which, with everything going on through the years, I think it makes Chioko that much more more captivating as a character. Um, Cindy, Cindy, what else? What else? What else? What else? I had I don't have a ton of notes or something. But one of the things I really enjoy about Cindy's portrayal is like you said she does have those fun moments she's not afraid to regress back to her younger self um and just have fun in those moments of telling the story the central importance of elder chiyoko is that narration though and that storytelling and with the tone of voice that cindy robinson gives this regal and refined tone it makes for a fantastic narration and a storyteller voice, which is the main purpose that Elder Chiyoko serves in the film. And I could just listen to it all day. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I could listen to it all day long and just hear her tell these stories and just be captivated and fascinated um, because of the tone of voice and how she uses it in this story. Um, And the ending bit for Elder Chiyoko in the hospital, that just, I just started tearing up again at that point because she knows, she knows that she's not going to make it. It's time. She knows it's time to let go. Now that she has the last piece that she's been missing for 30 years, it's time for her to go and it's time for her to go back on this pursuit. Which, which which adult, again, Aaron as adult Chiyoko says that's what she finds the most exciting thing is this pursuit. And Elder Chiyoko and Cindy Robinson, again, she mentions that <laughs> she mentions that she has the key again. She thanks Genya for bringing her back the key because it reminded her of what she lost. So, and reliving those memories and reliving this story and retelling it, that's probably the last thing that she ever wanted to do, honestly. And she was happy to do it. And now that she got to tell her story, um, she can just move on peacefully and go back on her pursuit on the other side, which is, that is such a really poignant and strong moment for the character and Cindy Robinson is just phenomenal as the Elder Chiyoko. Elder Chiyoko, Cindy Robinson is my favorite iteration of the Chiyokos in all honesty. Like from the instant I heard and saw her, 
up and through till the end. It's a fantastic portrayal. And here's, and again, like, this is a credit to all three versions of Chiyoko. So for Abby Trott, Aaron Yvette, and Cindy Robinson, it's a very clear through line. And it may, and all three actresses make it into one voice for this one character. So, if you, again, if you don't know that there are three different voices for this character, you could be convinced that it's just one actress. If you had no knowledge of it being three, you can think, you can probably assume and guess it might be one when it's not. And that's, again, a credit to all three voice actresses and the director on how this character is portrayed and how this through line and the story is told. And I think it's just a fantastic job all around um, for all three of them. And I think especially Cindy Robinson um, just brings it home um, as this storyteller. And I just, oh, I love it. I love this film so much. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. But, um, with that being said, I think we need to go into our final thoughts on the on the dub of this film. Uh, so, a lot of it's probably going to be reiterating what we said in the beginning, but hey, you made it this far, let's remind so, you. <laughs> yeah, let's remind you of why the fuck you need to love oh, this yeah. movie. Um, this movie is an absolute powerhouse to anybody who loves animation, loves movies, loves good storytelling. The dub is phenomenal. This is one of the best dubs of the year. Um... Oh, VSI and Eleven Arts have come together to make such a fantastic dub for a movie that is gladly being released yeah. uh, in a limited run in theaters and eventually, hopefully, on home video for a more widespread thing. Hopefully, this will go to Netflix or something to stream because, holy shit, everybody should see this movie at least Absolutely. once in their life. Um, everybody did such a fantastic job. I don't think I had any problems with any aspect of the dub of this movie. Um not off the top of my head. Obviously, as I watch it more times, I might find more things I might dislike, but as a general thing, yeah, this is this is some good shit, guys. Like, please go fucking see this movie. Yeah, we live in a very strange time right now um, because it's been... One week since... Let's Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the serious tone. God! Um... <laughs> I couldn't help it! It was, it was right there. there! I walked into it. God. I took my shot. <laughs> he took the shot. He took the shot. Uh, man down, man down. Anyway. It, we live in a really weird time because it's been a long time since we've seen Satoshi Kon become prominent um, in both Japanese culture as well as Western anime, um, the Western anime community. And I briefly looked it up. I just happened upon it. So... August 24th will be the nine-year anniversary of his passing. He passed away August 24th of 2010. Please rest in peace, dude. I hope you're up there having a good yeah, time. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, he is a fantastic director, and it's... Again, like you said in the beginning, Megan, he was taken to us very soon. Mm -hmm. um, especially because he was, at the time, in the middle of production of The Dreaming Machine, which was another film. Um, he was working on and I hope it eventually does see the light of day but um, this film in particular I, this has always been my favorite Satoshi Kon film it's a very tried and true powerhouse it's very true to Kon's directing style um, and 
what he usually uses for themes and context. It's he also wrote the film, if I remember correctly. This is an original that he did. Yes, it, it's still it really is so good. good. While adaptations that he did, like Perfect Blue and Paprika, are pretty good. It's his original stories that I think are downright fantastic. And Millennium Actress is definitely the height of that and the epitome of his his work, in all honesty. And the dub of the film itself, I am so happy that it's coming out now at this time in this place. Um, present day, present time. Uh, 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 sorry, the joke was there. <laughs> and... It's very appropriate that it's coming out now in a time where a lot more newer anime fans and definitely some of the older ones like us can really appreciate it again. And just seeing this film again is... It's a surreal experience. Um, and the English dub is just fantastic to me. It's... It's dub-of-the-year material, for sure. And I am also half-tempted to be Cheatsy and give all three actresses who played Chiyoko Fujiwara a dubby for the one performance. Because, again, they all blend together so well that I can't distinguish one one or the other as a favorite. Well, I kind of can, but... Um, it's very well done. It's very well produced and written and acted and directed. There's a lot about this film... And it's dub that is just absolutely amazing. And like Megan said, you are doing a disservice to yourself by not watching this film. If you already saw the Japanese, whether prior to the rescue or if you saw it again at the time of this episode, uh, this episode's release, if you saw it the night before in Japanese, good on you. Go watch it Go again. Watch it again in the dub, though. Go watch it again in English. But yeah, if you watched it the night before in the <laughs> Japanese, I thank you because this film deserves so much more attention than it ever got. And I mean, I probably speak for at least Megan and I and probably for everybody else when I say thank you, Eleven Arts, for rescuing this film. Seriously, thank you, Eleven Arts, you godsend. You are amazing for rescuing this film. And we love and you. And the star treatment that it honestly really deserves. Because this is a film that really flew under the radar for it, it flew under the radar for a lot of fans in the anime community and there's very few people who got the chance to see and appreciate it like Megan and I do so the fact that it's coming back now at a fantastic time where all of a sudden we're slowly getting these cone films back in action here like perfect again perfect blue was re-released by G kids last year um it's a very surreal time to see these films again and I really hope that Tokyo Godfathers is rescued and Paprika is rescued again and Paranoia Agent and all of... I, I, my wish, my deepest wish, is for the work of Satoshi Kon to really come make a comeback and get the treatment that it honestly really deserves because he's a fantastic director. Um, I mean, I have a great love and appreciation for him. He's my favorite director um, mm. of all time, honestly. But, yeah, you are doing yourself a disservice if you have not seen this film. Absolutely disservice. So, if you watched it last night at the time this episode was released, good on you. Um, but, you really need to see the dub, too. 
the dub is spectacular. So if you already watched it, good on you, but go see it again. Give this film so much love and support because doing so will, uh, it's one of those things, unfortunately, in the corporate world where it's like, you gotta give it the, the, the attention in order for that for studios like Eleven Arts to, or licensing company, excuse me, like Eleven Arts to continue on. And please go see this movie illegally. Please watch yes, this movie. Please, 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 please. Um, so on that note, if you are interested in seeing the film Millennium Actress, um, you might, there's only, right now, there's really only two ways you could probably see it. Again, we mentioned the current theatrical run. Um, at the time of the episodes, this episode's release, the Japanese version was in theaters yet last night. Um, the dub is... You got one night, got y'all! one night to do it now. Um, the English dub is going to be in theaters on Monday, August 19th, and I'm so excited to see it with all of us. Ah! I'm so excited to see Conan on the big screen because I've never had that opportunity. It's fantastic. I Thank you, Eleven Arts. I appreciate you. Um, but the other way, currently, I would say you'd be able to watch the film is... Um, Track it down on DVD, the, the old, old DVD. The old DreamWorks Entertainment DVDs, if you happen to find and snag a copy. Um, though I imagine, since they did rescue it, they are, Eleven Arts will plan to have a home video release in the future. Please give it a premium limited edition box set. Please, 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 please. I will pre-order yes. and day one buy it, or day one buy it, please. I would love you to death. Um, please. And again, a very special, special thank you to Eleven Arts for this fantastic opportunity for us to discuss the dub of this film um, before um, anyone else really gets to. Um, this is something that I'm, and I'm sure Megan will agree, this is something that I never thought could happen. Nope. Like, we we were so excited, and as fans of- You can't tell I'm excited because I need a nap because <laughs> I'm not feeling good, but. but um, as you can probably tell, we're such huge fans of the film. We're probably one of the only people among the Dub Top crew has actually seen the film. So we have we are so passionate about it, and the having this opportunity and this chance to work with Eleven Arts on making this episode um, in time for the theatrical run is just a fantastic and a dream come true. So really, on all honesty, thank you so much, Eleven Arts, for this opportunity. Um, we really do appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we can work together again in the future on, on some of your other films. But yeah, this is this has been fantastic, and I loved every second of it. <laughs> um, if you are interested in anything that Megan and I do, you can follow Megan on Twitter at Queen Era Two, um, yep. where she shit posts <laughs> what all the time. Uh, as for me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E. As well as um, I do have a blog that I update rather infrequently, uh, lifeandtimesotaku.wordpress.com. If you're interested in anything that the, uh, us here at the Dub Talk Podcast do, the best way to do so is you're already here on YouTube. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube, subscribe to us here. I think at the time of recording this, we are slowly closing in on 3,000 subscribers, so thank you so, so much. Um, We're slowly closing in on 200 episodes. We're also slowly closing in on 200 episodes. I think this one would be 174, 75 maybe? That's what this one's going to be. We're, we're getting... It's time code time, boys. Time code time. Let's go. We got to do more fun highlights and moments. Let's go. Um, <laughs> but you can also follow us on various social media, um, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Tumblr is dead. Um, Twitch, all of them at Dub Talk Podcast. And hey, if you really, really love 
what we do here and you want to support us in a completely different way. Um, again, like we did mention in the beginning, we do have a Patreon. Um, the link for it will be in the YouTube description below uh, where you can be part of this crazy tr journey of ours. Um, like so many, like several of our patrons are currently and um, help us grow the channel um, and the podcast and to new heights. And um, if you don't want, if you don't feel like you are financially stable to commit to something monthly, that is a-okay. We do have a coffee as well for any like one-time um, donations as well, because trust us, we're also adults and we have financial struggles like everybody else. So we un completely understand um, if you can't do a monthly um, Patreon subscription, essentially. Uh, I believe that is it for us today. Holy crap, this has been an experience. <laughs> yes, we did it. I can't believe we actually got to talk about this. I was, I was like, man, we're gonna have to wait till next summer at the movies to talk about this. Nope, nope. nope. Thank you, Eleven Arts. You're awesome. Thank you, Eleven Arts. We love you. Good night, yeah. everybody. I'll talk a while. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm so excited to see it again next Monday with everybody. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, see you in Tejas. <laughs> see you in Dallas, boys and girls. Girls. Good night. <laughs> have a good night. Thank you so much again, and Otaku on my friends. <laughs>